Welcome to episode 12 of the Daniel Yoris podcast. Today's guest is one of my very best friends, Matthew Arnone. Let's go. Even though we're only 12 episodes into the podcast, this episode was already long overdue. Me and Matt are best friends and we have these conversations all the time, almost weekly, and we'll routinely go for two, three hours. But we did a good job of keeping it relatively concise, about an hour and a half here. And the way that we wanted to frame this was sort of talking about our experiences now and how we got here by going back in time to our self-reported meathead days when we were just in the gym at university, just cranking away and doing all the stereotypical bro stuff. And it was funny and, and, and good to think about those things and think back to those times and what we learned from it and how we got to where we are. Because if you would have told me that either of us would think the way we do about the world and about health and fitness and humans overall, all those years ago, I would have just laughed at you because it was couldn't have been farther from the truth. But through our examination of our own life and through the examination of others and through being humble to learn from those who are ahead of us and those who have more knowledge than us, we've come to these conclusions. And so in this episode, we got into that story time and kind of how we both have grown through time and over time to get to where we are now to understand that being a better human is really what this all means and give some actionable tips as to what we do and what we're currently doing and will be doing in the future to achieve that goal. So without any more rambling, here it is, my conversation with my friend, Matthew Arnone. All right, Matt, what's going on, man? Thankfully, we uh, finally finally got this done. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we had, uh, for those who are listening, we had a couple of scheduling issues, but we're here. We're, we're ready to go. First, I, you know, we got pushed back on his account, and now uh, it was Matt who was late to the party. So uh, we're, we're good, man. Life's happening, but we're excited to be here. How are exactly. you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Things are all right. Like I said, I had an inefficient morning before, but I mean, we're here. So um, let's get to it though. Obviously, we're very good friends. I don't need you to introduce yourself to me, but you know, for anyone else who may not know you, just give me a, a quick little intro of, of you and who you are and, and what's that. Yeah. So I'm Matthew Arnone. Uh, where do I start? Long feels like a lifetime ago that I started uh, being a professional soccer player. Only 27 years old for the listeners, but uh, feels like a lifetime ago. Started this journey. Uh, Daniel and I, obviously a lot of crossover. Uh, we played when we were, I, I want to say it was like 11 or 12 years old on the same soccer team and, you know, uh, got disconnected through my my journey and his journey and, and then reconnected back at York University. Both uh, kin grads at York, which we're, we're super proud of and, and that kind of started us on the, the health and fitness path. And um, aside from being a professional athlete and, and my journey led me along to, uh, understanding a little bit about, about the mind, a little bit more about the physiology of the mind. And that was always an interest of mine. So, uh, since then started a small business called Mindframe, which, uh, helps athletes and helps really now, uh, branching out to all human beings with resiliency and, uh, understanding the mind a little bit better and understanding the why and the hows a little bit better. Uh, in order to uh, be a better human, to, to have a, a better output and a better quality of life. So that's something that I feel very strongly about. And, and all the labels and identities that are associated with me, uh, I'm starting to sh see a shift in that and a, and a greater power. So uh, I started with professional athlete, but very much am ident identifying with this type of resiliency coach and, and whatever you want to call me, mental coach. I'm just another human being and, and here, to, here to chat and dialogue and super happy to be here and can't wait to, to jump into it. Yeah, for sure, man. And I mean, anybody who knew both of us, like in first year university, if you would have said like, oh, this is what these two guys are going to be talking about a few years from now, you'd be like, you're, you're out to lunch, dude. Like the way that we used to conduct ourselves, like, and not that we were outwardly bad, but like 
the things that we used to like say to each other and, and not and no, that nobody else heard were not not necessarily like always nice things. We never heard anybody, but I mean, definitely not the not the most holistic guys around and the way that we just like the way that we trained and the way that we worked out and the way that we ate, especially um, the, the, the Popeyes in York was was our favorite place. So two, three times a week, we were there easily. But um, it, it's amazing. Not necessarily kind of, conducive to being a pro athlete, right? But no, absolutely. Ignorance, not. ignorance was bliss in those times. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's it did serve our purpose at the time, just trying to be big and huge. But um, long term, obviously, not uh, not the greatest thing. But it did it did kind of get us to where we are here today. And so, for everyone listening, me and Matt will talk for six hours if if I allow us to. So we're gonna try and keep this somewhat concise and the way that I want to conduct this. And, and I said this to you before, Matt, but we'll kind of go through sort of our kind of three phases together and how we started training together, like in university and kind of those days. And then sort of the switch that happened where we started to both kind of separately, but together, but separately kind of arrived at some of these similar principles and then sort of what, what's going on now with Mindframe and kind of future outlook. So um, we'll, we'll just take it from there, but yeah, I mean, first year university, we were, we were just two meatheads. So we went to the gym every single day. And we, I don't even remember if we actually did legs or not. Do you, do you remember? Never, never once. I mean, it was, it was, a, I think it was a chest and arms and back day, stuff like that. And really just about numbers and hitting, like grabbing the biggest weights and the heaviest weights and looking at the people who were grabbing the heaviest weights and, and aspiring to be those people. Right. And I think, I think that came from, at least from my perspective, that came from, a little bit of the insufficiencies that I was feeling as an athlete. And I think there was a, it was a rough patch in my life personally and a rough patch in my sporting life and uh, feeling inadequate. And I think like, you know, some of the initial, you know, as we know that that sort of beginners um, principle of growth where, where obviously it takes, you know, the power law of practice and these types of things. When you, when you think about picking something up for the first time, the growth is exponential at the beginning and that's a great feeling. And, I think that's what we were both experiencing at a, at a very superficial, but also a very innocent level where, you know, it's fun to lift weights and it's fun to see growth in your body. And, you know, we can toss in a bunch of different concepts like toxic, toxic masculinity and those things that really made us feel cool and strong and, and, and all the related, I guess, positivity that came with that, right. Maybe improved confidence as well. So we took the good with the bad. Maybe we weren't so aware of it at the time, but it was definitely a fun time to, to sort of just get our, you know, we, we took a cannonball into the pool. We didn't put our feet in and just dip our toes. We, we really got in there and, and it was fun for what it was worth. And like you said, it led us to this point. So I think a lot of growth from that point to now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the training and stuff we were doing, it wasn't, it wasn't the worst training that we'd be doing, but, uh, certainly wasn't optimal. And, and honestly, I don't know if I would really like, would, would you do it differently now? I think, no, I think, uh, you know, just having that holistic approach to health and fitness, I think you need to go to those places to know, um, similarly in the sports space, similarly in, in life. I think you, you, if you don't make those mistakes, you live with a certain level of ignorance where you're not really sure of what the other side is. And I think you and I having been, I think we had our supplement phase as well. Once we got to like certain places, you know, we took the, to the creatine, we had the creatine shaking around in the backpacks alongside the notebooks and the textbooks and, I think those are some funny times when we think back at them and, you know, taking those weird colored powders and shakes and all these silly, silly things that we would look at now. I think there, it's all part of the, it's all part of the process in terms of a fitness journey. Right. And I think we had goals and I think, like you said, I don't know that we did anything poorly or that we didn't have technique or that we didn't have the physical literacy to complete those things. I just think perhaps that the goals and the why there was a little bit superficial, uh, a little, but also in, within our own immaturity, innocent. Right. And I think like, 
as you develop, a, you know, and you mature as an individual, your fitness goals become a little bit more uh, profound in terms of why it's important to you to stay healthy. And I think um, without that, we wouldn't have that, right? We only find context within, you know, sort of a, a comparison, right? So, you know, we did things in those times and moments as 18 year old or 20 year old kids, like we did what 20 year old kids do. And like you said, it's a part of the growth and a part of the journey. So no, I, I don't think I would do it any differently. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of fun for sure. I mean, like we, we, we did have goals and we did reach them. Like we both just wanted to like get to those, like the biggest, the thing that I can remember the most is like getting to the hundred pound dumbbells. And I know that you'll remember the story and I've told this story to people before, but do you remember the guy? Um, I'm sure you remember, we used to call him Wheezy and he, <laughs> yeah. he was this guy in the gym. He was like short guy, like me, long dreads tatted. So we called him Wheezy, like little Wayne. And we would see him every day, every single day at the gym. He was like the strongest guy in the gym. The first guy that I've ever seen do like a full stack on, on like a, a horizontal row. The only guy using the hundred plus pound dumbbells, whatever. And, and we see him every single day and he would never say hello to us ever. And then one day, Matt is quite a bit bigger than me, big, strong guy. Got you finally got the hundred pound dumbbells. And then on that day, like clockwork, he said hello to you, but just completely ignored me. And then a couple of weeks later chasing you, I got it. And then he said hello to me too. And it's like, I mean, as, as silly and like superficial as that whole like journey of getting to that level was like, I mean, we did apply all the principles of progressive overload and, and like, and just training hard. And, and we approached it with, with a, a huge degree of intensity, like those exercises, we for sure like we showed up and we were ready to push it on those days. Now, whenever we did train legs here and there, I don't recall it because we didn't, I don't, we didn't like aim at anything. We just kind of did it because like, oh fuck, we should probably do this. But we didn't like, <laughs> it wasn't something that we were focusing on. And so I don't really remember it, but we did do the very basic things uh, well. And, and it, it did help us reach our goals at the time, superficial as they may, may, may have been. Um, but, but overall it was, um, it was a good journey. And then kind of looking back on it, there's a lot to, a lot to take from it for sure. Yeah. I think, like you said, like, I think the main thing is, is having those goals. And, and I, I think at the time, because we were immature, if you and I were to set the same goals now, we wouldn't necessarily have the buy-in. Right. And, and we could go to the gym and do those things, but, uh, ultimately we're, we're not in a place where we feel big and strong because we look big and strong. I think we've grown from that as people. I'd like to hope we've grown from that as people. And, and now hopefully in our society, we're not necessarily trying to be the biggest guy in the gym, but we're setting more sustainable goals. Right. And I think like, it's not necessarily sustainable, at least from my perspective as an athlete, you know, doing those things and then to put into context for everyone, I wasn't doing legs, but I was training every single day in addition to, you know, going to the gym with Daniel and, and, have, and being training partners and those things. And, um, so it would, it, there became a point when it wasn't conducive to my actual goals in life and, and wanting to be a pro athlete and, and, and obviously moving down the line, we know that, you know, muscle mass isn't necessarily a thing that hinders your ability for anaerobic glycolysis or for any of these energy systems, but, um, any, everything in moderation is positive. And then when you become an extremist with, with anything, you start to sacrifice the latter. Right. And I think where, where we get, when I arrived at that point where I was, you know, almost 200 pounds and. There's a point where, you know, I, I remember on the field uh, at York and, and be having a smaller role at the beginning of my, of my collegiate career, getting on the field for 10 minutes or 20 minutes at the end of the game and, and being absolutely wiped after, you know, simply 10 or 20 minutes, whereas a match is 90. I, I realized like, OK, you know, there is something to be said about, you know, maybe altering my training patterns or altering my training methods. That's more conducive to that long term goal, which was at the end of the day to be a professional athlete. Right. And I think that's that's kind of. 
uh, ultimately the why for me. And that was the why that was the most important thing that I had set in my mind. And, and again, with an immature outlook that we'll talk about probably later, um, the how became distorted along the way. Right. And I think I didn't have a clarity in that and neither did you and I, and we had very superficial goals. And for that reason, it wasn't sustainable, but, uh, it was definitely fun. It was definitely a part of that. And like you said, we gained perspective from having been there. So we went there. So therefore we know there, right. And, and we, once we knew better and we gained that awareness, we knew how to do better. Yeah. That was the thing too. It's not like we were ignoring anything. We just kind of didn't, we were just ignorant to, to what we didn't know. And so we were learning from like guys who were older than us or guys who were, you know, a little bit ahead of us who, you know, for whatever they learn. And then we started, you know, or, you know, you, you read on bodybuilding.com and T nation and these kind of things and ask like, you know, the guy at the athlete gym, like, Oh, what should I do? And then you sort of put the pieces together and like slowly we started to realize like, okay, this is not really like, this doesn't make sense. Like you were way too big to, to be, to be a soccer player at that time. And we weren't training the right way. We were both starting to get injured. I remember like I, we both had that sternum pain in our chest because we just <laughs> hammered chest so much. It felt like my sternum was going to like split in half. But um, I think I dropped, I think I dropped it, the, the 120 pound dumbbell on my chest one time and bounced yeah. right off them. I, I'll, I'll never <laughs> forget that you, you were at the top and you, and your arm just collapsed. I was there, but I wasn't fast enough. And then the thing just like smashed your chest, your chest, like caved in, <laughs> just bounced off on the floor and you were, you were fine, thankfully. But like, that was, like, that was hilarious. I mean, and, and even to say like, as silly as the things that we were doing, like we, we weren't completely unsafe. Maybe that instance was like the most unsafe thing that we ever did, which was an accident, but we didn't get hurt. So like the resilience of just like your body is like, you got to be doing some pretty dumb things to really hurt yourself in the gym. You get little tweaks here and there, but your body is pretty strong, especially when you're, when you're young, right? No, absolutely. I think like that, I, I think about that being a period of time where lifting so heavily and training every single day and and then, you know, sometimes even lifting with you and lifting in the athlete gym, as you mentioned, like, you know, for those in giving context, there's a, there's a separate gym. It's a lot smaller than the York university gym down, uh, one level lower at the Tate McKenzie center. And, you know, having lifts that I would need to, to do, you know, even twice or three times a week during season, it's like, sometimes I was triple dipping in terms of like workload and, and the, the real neglect that I was giving to my body at the time, including the nutrition side, including you know, perhaps any sleep deficit that probably I was unaware of. I couldn't even tell you if I was sleeping eight hours a day because I never even paid, paid attention to those things. And, you know, when you think about that, you're really, you're really rolling the dice. Um, but that being said, within the technicalities of like what we were actually doing and the programs we were putting together for ourselves, essentially based on our goals, um, everything was executed with, you know, you and I are the guys that cross the T's and dot the I's, right? So I would never, you know, I, I remember vividly doing exercise perhaps with, not the best, you know, periodization program in place, but the, the technique execution and all those things were all, were all spot on and also being monitored by each other. Right. And I think, um, from a safety standpoint, we were definitely safe. I don't know that my volume at least was, was probably way too high as an athlete in order to be able to optimally perform for the thing that I cared most about. But, uh, again, you live and you learn, right. These are the things that I expose my body to those things. I exposed my mind also to those things and, and uh, an increased level of awareness came through and we carry that newfound knowledge forward into hopefully, you know, whatever it is that, that we progress through. And if we always did things the same, then uh, human evolution wouldn't be where it is today. We wouldn't have things like technology. We wouldn't have anything, you know, any of the revolutions, whether it be technological, industrial revolution, anything we've driven the world forward only by doing, making mistakes and then, and then driving the needle a little bit further, uh, 
you know, from generation to generation or whatnot. So uh, it's all part of the journey. It's all part of the process. And like, I think we've had some, we had some fun times along the way. Right. Yeah. And I mean, we, we always had an open mind at both things. And I think the biggest thing that really helped us or one of the biggest things was just the accountability of each other. Like we had all our classes together. So we were together every day, but like, you know, on any given day, one of us might've said like, ah, oh, like let's skip the gym today. But then the other guy was like raring to go that day. So we went. And so we never missed days because we were, we were there pushing each other. And then like within the gym performance wise, both of us, you are a real athlete me, I'm a fake athlete. And, and you know, but like wanting to, but having that, like aggression is not the right word, but competition maybe to try and like yeah. keep, keep pushing it. Right. Like, like I said, like you're bigger and stronger than I am. So, you know, I'm always chasing you, which helps me a lot. But then as I close the gap, like you're trying to keep, keep going. Right. And so that works out or it did work out really well for us and really well for, for anyone. It's, it's, it's always you versus you, but if you can have a little bit of that external, just to kind of keep the ball rolling on those days where you, where you don't feel like getting after it, then it's, it goes a long way for sure. And I think, you know, in light of COVID with, with all the home workouts and whatnot, people are just missing a lot of the accountability because it's very difficult to be accountable to yourself um, for a long period of time. Right. And it just, I guess, think speaks back to the resilience of it all where you, anyone can do something for, for a week or for a month, you can be on your game, sleep, meditate, you know, journal, exercise, drink your water, whatever for, for a little bit, but it's like, where do you, where's that switch that it stops happening? And then you, you know, you, you give into the, to the resilience or or whatever the term might be. So I think that that's, um, something that people are are really struggling with and and the importance of having training partners and being in a gym and being in an environment with other humans. Right. I think, yeah, I think you touched it and you just said it right at the end is that, that human experience, that human connection, I think is so, so important. You know, I, I think, you know, in my understanding of human, of the human condition, we're, we're naturally social beings, right? And I think right now we're being forced to be isolated. And just in my basic understanding of like neurosciences, you know, isolation and pain are, are very much a shared pathway in the brain. And when I think about that, and I think about, you know, even virtual you and I, you know, doing this, being apart from each other, rather than being in the same room and connecting. Uh, you know, one could easily deduce that the 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 enhanced discussion would be there if, if you and I were connecting and we were looking into each other's eyes and speaking and feeling the energy in the room, whereas a screen can't emit that. And I think like that parallel that to, you know, an online meditation or parallel parallel that to an online workout, right, where you're programming and you're disconnected from the people you're training in your case, or the the client themselves connecting with the trainer and feeling you know, the touch or the tactile cues that you might be able to provide for them in a back squat or whatever the case may be. I, you know, I think there's a human element there. There's a human connection that is innate within all of us. And I think like that, that enhances growth. And I think when you feel that and you feel that sense of community and that, that sense of support, whether it's a physical touch or whether it's words or whether it's simply nonverbal communication by way of caring, by way of looking with the eyes or making a, a gesture, you know, to show that it's a form of compassion. And I think that's a language we all speak and, and we don't necessarily speak it that well to ourselves at times. And I think that's why the external, as you mentioned, can be, can be a positive kicker and, and sort of like that Kickstarter, if we are on a down or if we are lacking motivation or, you know, and it's not necessarily to be a striver or to be a competitor. Um, you know, the, the essence of non-striving and, and human potential and that sort of exploration and curiosity as to what you can achieve is, is there when you see it in others, but more importantly, when you see it in yourself. And I think at times like this, it's very difficult to see it in ourselves. Right. And I think it's a skill that we must nurture every day. And, 
And, and, and I think COVID is bringing out a lot of what was already there, which was, you know, if you're not moving forward in your own growth, then unfortunately your, your body is going to grow, your body's going to age and it's going to leave you behind in your mentality. Right. And as the world and society moves forward. So I think it's a, it's a constant emphasis on growth within. And therefore when we go without, we are, we are nurtured and we have ourselves to, to communicate with, to interact with. And, and then, then it really truly becomes the you versus you. Right. For sure. And I think that part of the difficulty and, and we've spoken with this before, and I've certainly said this many times before is that like this whole thing is, is for many of us is the hardest thing that like our generation has gone through collectively. A lot of us for sure, myself included relatively easy life up until this point. And so we haven't had to be very resilient in our life. And then boom, here's COVID. You don't see anybody. Don't talk to anybody. Maybe you're not working, whatever. You're just thrown into the deep end and here, figure it out, be resilient, be alone, be by yourself and, and don't break. And, and that's extremely difficult. And so I think part of the, you know, part of all these things about training physically is a very easy way to like push yourself and develop a little bit of resilience so that, you know, when, when real life things do happen, you, you do have that resilience muscle, uh, built up for sure. Right. And I mean, you've, you've had your, your things to be resilient of in your life. And that certainly guided you towards this, all of the things that you're doing now. Right. Um, but I do want to just bring things back a little bit. So in terms of training, talk to me about like, what happened when you, was there a switch in your mind? Like, was there like a moment where you said like, Oh, I'm doing things wrong. Like I need to take a whole different approach. Or do you think it was like a little bit of an accumulation of things? I think, honestly, I think as you and I, uh, began to diverge in terms of like, even just where, where we were, you know, spending a little bit less time with each other. I think, you know, you have, you having a little bit more autonomy in your course selection and me choosing maybe some other different course selection. We kind of, you know, for context, Daniel and I took every class together. That was like a compulsory course in our undergrad together because we, we had a history from high school. We were great friends prior to that. You know, we drove to school together. We ate lunch together. We, you know, we did all the things together, including, you know, lift and, and have those fitness goals. And, um, I think once that happened and that space was created, I think, um, for myself, I, I started to really, you know, understand towards the back end of my collegiate career that things weren't going the way that I wanted them to. And, and so quite frankly, you know, the goal from when I was a little child was to have uh, my name on the back of a Jersey was to be a professional. And, and Daniel touched on a bit of the resilience and, and that became uh, a singular identity for me. And I dove further into that when I, I actually lost my brother. So that's the resilience that Daniel's talking about in, in, uh, in my life. And that happened in 2010. So I was 16 and not really having dealt with that in the best way. Um, I, it became a very singular identity, it became a very singular goal for me in a vacuum to put my name on the back of a Jersey to, you know, understand that uh, I needed to do this for my brother. And that was the buy-in for me. And that was where I went, not knowing how, the how, just knowing the why. Right. And I think that was a, a powerful driver for me, but when you don't have the how, and you don't really know how to get there, uh, it can be quite frustrating, right? And it can be a very damaging process for the psyche. And I think um, when I realized that the results or what I was doing or what, you know, we were doing wasn't, was maybe working in, in your sense for your goals, but I had alternative goals as well in terms of, you know, my physical body and being in a certain place and preparedness for the pro game. And it wasn't really translating. I think, you know, the logical thing that, that popped into my mind was I can't keep doing this because I can't, if I do so, then I can't really expect a different result. Right. And I think 
that's where this um, shift became. And, and I'm a very logical, scientific driven person. And I started to understand a bit more about, okay, well, where am I actually going wrong? Where can I do better seeking help from, you know, people in our life that, you know, mutual friends like Costa, for example, you know, a strength coach at York at the time, who was a, a wonderful human being and, and, you know, has been in the MLS space has been in at levels that I, you know, we can only dream of reaching in terms of being a practitioner of, of health and, and fitness, but also, you know, uh, levels that I aspired to play at. So understanding what it took from that side of things and then tailoring that and gathering knowledge and, and then understanding who I am as a person and what my optimal levels of arousal are. Right. So we look at, I think we look at a lot of, you know, and the one thing that separated me, I find, and, and understanding that, you know, we can't compare myself to a different athlete or another athlete. And, and this is where the non-striving and the you versus you comes in is because not every athlete has, you know, had dealt with the same things and the, the associated anxieties and depression that came with those things or not. And some people have dealt with more and come out of it with more, right. And, and, and had less in terms of resources and all those things. So it's very important to understand that it's never an even playing field. Sometimes you're on the higher ground and sometimes you're not. So taking all of this scientific and empirical knowledge and applying it in an individualized manner in order to get the best out of Matthew, the individual, rather than looking at myself as a cookie cutter professional athlete. And I think understanding my body, understanding um, what necessarily would bring on, not just on a physical or physiological perspective, but what emotional, what psychological cues would enhance or deter my performance or inhibit my performance. And I think, you know, you build this knowledge through experiential learning. Um, and then obviously, you know, circling back to present day things like you're always, no, you're always, um, you know, gonna, gonna think about the technical side of sport and you're going to think of the physical side of sport. Um, but there's very much a psychological and emotional, uh, a mental side of sport. So I kind of hit a roadblock in my life. And again, understanding that doing the same things wasn't bringing me or yielding the results that I wanted. Uh, you know, you, you begin to train the mind, you begin to understand and confront whatever it is that's in your mind and, and develop a certain level of why that is, paralleled with your maturity levels, right? So it wasn't about getting my name on the back of a jersey anymore. I started to understand that I don't speak to myself very well. My self-talk is very poor, um, which is inhibiting my performance as my understanding grew of, of the mind and the physiology of thoughts and, and how that affects your physical body. Um, understanding where my optimal arousal levels were, stuff like that was super important for my journey as a person as well as an athlete. And I think uh, to bring that back around is you know, for, for everyone listening and whoever's setting a goal, whether it be lofty or otherwise, in order to keep yourself in the present moment, in order to get yourself up out of bed on the days that you don't want to get out of bed. And how do I develop that resiliency? How do I develop that motivator? Well, understanding that you are not as compassionate to yourself as you are to your friends, right? So I probe a question in you is like, how many times do you give good advice to your friends where they really appreciate that advice? And Daniel and I have done this to each other, but how many times do you give yourself the same advice? Oh, Daniel, don't be so hard on yourself. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm beating myself up on the inside, right? So we don't take that very well. So when we create that space in the mind, we can give ourselves that objective uh, compassion that we need. And I think that is, you know, that why was, it wasn't getting me out of bed in the morning. Yeah, so what? I have my name on the back of a jersey. That, what does that have to do with being a better human being? What does that have to do with my happiness? So I began to find a language that I responded to. I began to speak to myself in a language that got me out of bed in the morning, which was, um, you know, the, the life of a professional athlete is not easy, but I thought about the longevity of a professional athlete and having children and being present in that, in those children's lives. You know, I always came back to the visualizing 
uh, image for me. It was a visualizing a, a moment where I could take my children to school, um, make them breakfast, take them to school, go to training, come back, pick them up and be present in their entire life rather than work a nine to five, be completely drained, unfulfilled and not want to interact with them or just be present, just be present physically. I wanted to embody being a father. That was something that I identified with a lot more than most at my age and, and even at the age of 27. But that was the why for me. That, and the why shifted with my own maturity, being you know present in my wife, my life, my family life, and all that was a lot more important than you know the name on the back of the jersey. And as things got tough, it was almost like you know the days I would wake up and hit snooze on my alarm, I'd say, buddy, get your ass out of bed because it's not about you anymore. And, and you make it something bigger than yourself. And I think that's the language that we as humans speak to and we actually respond to. So uh, a little bit of an actionable, actionable tip to everyone is find your language. Find a language that you respond to. Find something that means something to you. But more importantly, find how you connect with the greater purpose or the greater world around you. Yeah. And I think it's super important. And one thing just to just to dial that back a little bit is all the things that you just spoke about, that didn't happen. You didn't just wake up one morning and, and realize that. That happened over a, a, a series of time. It was it was probably over a couple of years. And it and it happened like sl- very slowly and, and one piece at a time. Or like I even remember, you know, you just started getting more serious about soccer. And it's like, okay, I need to do my training, my athletic training, which I was also recovering from my knee surgery at that time. So we couldn't even work out together anyways. And that like for for better or worse, maybe for our for our own individual training physically only actually helped both of us because it forced us to, to separate, which, which we should have been doing from the beginning anyways, because we have very different uh, athletic and physical goals, obviously. Um, but then you started getting like more involved in classes. I remember you talking about exercise physiology class, which we actually took at different times, I think, just because the way the courses worked out and like you were interested in, it, which was not something that happened before. And so these things kind of like bleed into the rest not of, to interrupt you, but for yeah. context, for context, Daniel used to show up at my house and I would still be in bed because I was so unmotivated to go to school. And, you know, you can think of that as I don't know if that was forms of depression or or bouts of depression, because I've only confronted that in the in the last couple of years. But, you know, being very unmotivated, very disinterested and really focused on, again, that singular identity of being an athlete. But just to give everyone context. But yes, there was a shift. So sorry, continue. Yeah, no, no, for sure. And and what anyways, what I was getting at is like, for anybody listening, all those things that Matt just talked about it, it sounds like, wow, he really figured it out. And, and he did, but he didn't figure it out overnight. This happened over a very long period of time with a lot of introspection, a lot of like, you know, thinking to himself and, and trying new things and whatever. He didn't just wake up and be like, oh, I want to be able to take my kids to school in the morning. Like you don't just wake up when you're 22 and figure that out. Right. So I think the even more micro actionable step from that is pick something, aim at it, and then you can adjust it as you go. And you'll continue to figure out things as you go. And most of us do not have a goal of being a professional athlete. So that is like not a reasonable thing to aim at, obviously. But we do have things that we want to accomplish in life. And they're very often for reasons that are far away from the thing that we actually want to do. Again, being a professional athlete so that you can be more present in your children's life. Like those things are kind of like, you know, super far apart when you, when you think about it, but really one it allows the other to be possible. And I think a lot of us get caught up and I want to make so much money. I want to have this job. I want to have this body. And it's like, well, why, what does that actually get you? If you have a six pack, like, well, then what? Like, well, so what does that actually do for you? If you if you bench press heavier than everybody else in the gym, what does that do for you? If you make $500,000 a year, great. But what are you doing with it? Right. Yeah, no, I, I think like you said, it, it's it's got to be a purpose that it's got to be something that it can be abstract from the actual goal, right? Like like you mentioned about being a professional athlete, but it afforded me uh, the life that 
I wanted. It afforded me the life that meant something to me and, and, you know, speaking to myself and, and it was, a you know, like you said, you may have said that I figured it out and I didn't figure it out overnight. And I would argue that I still haven't figured it out. I don't know if you ever figure it out. I think every day we wake up and every breath we take, we're ever changing. And this conversation will change me forever. And the next conversation and the next conversation, when we understand that impermanence within ourselves, we also don't necessarily cling to the goals as hard, right? So I would argue that maybe it's a goal and, and what the goal can do. And sometimes I think when we take a poor approach to this, we think about putting or raising a bar and putting a bar at a certain height. And then we can only find happiness if we hit that bar. But I would argue that, you know, maybe we can put the bar or we can hold the weight and see how far we can carry or see how far we can lift the weight. And I think like with that approach, with that beginner's mind, with that curiosity as to understanding, let's see today what I can actually accomplish. Let's see in the long run. Let's see, you know, and I, I notice, you know, with some of the posts and some of the discussions we've had about your fitness goals and, you know, it, it is that exploration. It's about, let's see how far I can take this thing. Right. And I think when you shape even your self-talk in that way, it doesn't become something that brings you anxiety, right? Because as the goal approaches, if I said that I wanted to write a book in two months and I want it to be 200 pages, well, in theory, I should be writing X number of pages per day. Well, when I fall behind, it doesn't become a pleasurable action anymore. It now becomes a chore that I should be doing. I should be writing four or five, 10, 20 pages a day. And as that deadline approaches, I realize that I'm not going to hit that goal you know, I can start to crunch, I can start to grind to get to that deadline. But all life is in that, in that lens with that context is setting a goal and not living until we achieve that goal, right. And I think every day of writing that book should be enjoyable every day. Um, so so approaching it from a human potential perspective, we get more out of the moment when we're in the moment, right. So when we set that goal, and we have that open mind, we have that acceptance to whatever the day is going to pr propose to us. You know, when we talk about Daniel and I sitting down to sit at this time to do the podcast and life happens and we move it along, you know, there was no men, there was no uh, mention from the two of us that, Hey, get out, like, let's go. Like, you know, no pressure from one or the other. It was more like when we sit to do it, it will be the right time to do it. When it's right for both of us, we will do it. And I think like that, eliminates that anticipatory anxiety. So to bring it back to something like a goal or to bring it back to something that means something to you, when you set it and you start doing the shoulds and the woulds, you know, should is, is an obliged form of communication with the self. So when you oblige somebody to do something and they don't feel like doing it, we've all been there, right? I, I put off a dentist appointment. I put off a doctor's appointment. I put off a conditioning drill or I've you know, had to bring my car in for service, you make it a bigger thing, a bigger construct in your mind than it needs to be. But what gets lost, and I think the most important thing is the enjoyable moments, right? And I, I think, you know, being a person that's dealt with anxiety, and more, more specifically, performance anxiety in sports, I remember, you know, our team goes up one nothing, or in general, the game starts, and I'm just waiting for 90 minutes to hit, I'm waiting for the whistle to blow. But what happened was, you know, that, you know, in that self reflection, and in that time, and that space, I've given myself to explore that I was like, you know, this is supposed to be a thing that I love. So why am I waiting for the final whistle? Why do I, why am I waiting for the next finish line? And I think we can do that and ultimately get to the finish line of life, right? And, and having not enjoyed the day to day. So whether it's, you know, when we sit in the present moment, whether it's an ordinary or an extraordinary moment, we can find beauty, we can find happiness in that. And that is quality of life uh, by my standards. So, you know, I think, as you mentioned, like it's about exploration of human potential. It's about setting a goal but not to take us away from the present moment, but rather have a goal so that it keeps us in the present moment, right?
Yeah, the goal is just something to aim at, but it's not really, it's not by any means the be all end all because when you do inevitably achieve that goal, then then you don't just stop living. Like you didn't just, it didn't just end. There's got to be something more. And so if you're not able to enjoy the process as like cheesy as that is, but it's, it's very true. And it's very true with fitness. It's very true with any of your health goals or any other like life goals you have. If you can't enjoy the the whole time going through it, grinding to, to get that promotion at your job or, you know, you know, hitting the, the 65, the 70, the 80, the whatever to get to the hundred pound dumbbells. If you're not enjoying every day that you'll, you'll probably actually not really reach your goal. And when you do, you'll get there and be like, ah, it wasn't, wasn't all that. And then you didn't solve your, your issue, whatever that may be. Right. And so learning to somehow become mindful in that moment or in, in each moment of the day leads to just better outcomes. Even just this podcast, if I was like, Oh, you know, if either of us said, okay, we have this really hard stop time, you know, if we did have some scheduling issue that we had a hard stop, then, then, you know, fine. But if we're being very uh, hard on ourselves about the exact time that we're at, then now in this podcast, we're thinking about the time on the clock instead of like just being here in this conversation and doing what we're doing. Right. And so developing that skill of, of actually being mindful and, and even some of the stuff that, you know, James, James Gardner, who, who you work with in the performance wellness stuff. And, you know, we'll, we'll chat about him here and I've shared his stuff on Instagram, um, several times as well, but, you know, just being present, brushing your teeth, walking from room to room are some of the things that he talks about. Right. So how are, how are some, how are some, what are some ways, sorry, that you sort of try and implement this on a day-to-day basis today? Yeah. So for me personally, I think this is, like you said, it doesn't, these things don't happen overnight, but, uh, I think in, in my own understanding of well-being, I think when you look at it, you can't, you know, people think of mindfulness and they think of mind. Well, mindfulness is not necessarily mind. Mindfulness is not body. It's, it's everything, right? It's emotions. It's positive outlook. It's awareness. It's attentional focus. And I think being mindful is attention and intention in whatever it is you're doing, right? And whether that be a goal you're setting, whether that be, like you said, brushing your teeth, being completely there, feeling the toothbrush in your hand, um, feeling the the bristles as they clean in between your teeth or scrape the gum if you push too hard or whatever the case may be, right? And and for me personally, those are, you know, my pillar, my four pillars, and, and they're not really mine. I, I adopted them from Richard Davidson and Daniel Siegel and uh, John Kabat-Zinn, who basically brought mindfulness to the West. And I think uh, their Eastern philosophy and that spiritual uh, component is that connectedness to the world. But it starts with attentional focus. It's, you know, it's, it's something, it's a skill we have to train. So for me, uh, you know, I started a couple of years ago with that. I started at five minutes a day. I'm up to, you know, I meditate an hour every single day. Um, that is my warm up um, in terms of, um, in terms of my mind, I guess, if you're going to separate the two, um, there's such thing as positive affirmations you can place on your mirror. I have positive affirmations stuck to my mirror. I have, uh, I found an identity statement that works for me, uh, as an athlete, as a person, as a human, which is about right effort and just giving literally emptying the tank, whatever the tank is that day. If you got 50, 50% of battery, you give 50%. If you got 80, you give 80. And that's how we measure. And that's how we do derive pride. We, that's how we determine success rather than, rather than necessarily these, these product goals, right? Where there are many variables. And I think when you understand that, you can start to understand the variables of yourself and understand that it's you versus you and, and all the great things we talked about. But ultimately, it's an attentional focus driven discipline. And I think, you know, the discipline to understand and give yourself space to think and let those things pass and, 
you know, ultimately it's, it's the, it's the resilience to stress, right? We talk about resilience and what is resilience. And I think it really, it really comes to the human condition. And if you're a human, you experience stress. If you experience worry about the future, if you experience uh, rumination about the past, this is a, a moment. This is a time for you, whether it be five minutes, whether it be 10 breaths, whether it be one hour, uh, in my case, this is a time for you to explore that and make friends or befriend or understand and identify what those reactions are to those things in your life. And I think when those things happen, when you understand that, hey, I'm just trying to lift a hundred pound dumbbells so that I could feel good about myself because in the area that is actually there, which is soccer, I'm a bench warmer. I'm not playing right now. And this is really difficult to realize because I have a singular identity. I know I only identify as an athlete. So the other side of being an athlete is lifting weights. So let me be the strongest athlete I can be. Whereas that was an unhealthy relationship by sitting and sitting in silence with yourself and understanding that those stressful moments, that rumination, that worry, it doesn't, I always like to say, it doesn't shack up with you. It doesn't live at your house anymore. It just comes by for a coffee. It doesn't mean that it's ever going to go away, but it just visits from time to time rather than living in the space or the construct of your mind. So I think it starts with attentional focus. And then we start to, you know, there's a lasting quality that, that remains after that five minutes, right? It's not about the five minutes, but it's about what's relatable after. So we take that, you know, mindfulness being the start of my day, incorporate that into an intentful movement warm up. So it's preparatory movement for the lift that I'm doing, right? And that is not just moving my shoulder and winding it like a windmill, but actually, you know, internally rotating, bringing, you know, bicep to ear, internally rotating the thumb, gaining more range of motion moving the joints in the way that they were supposed to be moved, the segment of joints, the shoulder, the muscle, the antagonist muscle, isometric contraction everywhere else. So that we're focusing on pure movement, intention, right? And then, you know, carry that into a run, carry that into a lift, feeling your feet on the ground, right? It could be a walk, it could be a run, hearing the birds chirp, right? And there's a lot of things that are present in the present moment that if we can sharpen that skill of attentional focus, we can apply it to anything, right? And I think that intention is simply focusing on the thing you're supposed to be doing, right? Rather than like you talked about, if you're focused on the clock while we're having a conversation, then you can imagine that the output couldn't be optimal, right? And parallel that to your life, in your job, in whatever it is, there's a, there's a certain level. And this is why we set goals is that it brings us to a flow state, right? We don't set goals. The, the intention of goal setting is not to pull us to a place where we only focus on the future or worry about if we're going to get to that goal. It's to keep us in the present moment. It's to keep us in a place of flow. If I say I want to type 25 words a minute, and that's in terms of challenge and my skill level, if that's just about right in terms of what I can achieve, if that's a, a weight just heavy enough to stimulate, you know, progressive overload in the mind, we can then flex that muscle to an optimal degree. We can allow recovery to happen and therefore we have growth, right? So I think like this is something that is not about physical. It's not about mental. It's about the growth pattern of the human. And I think once we understand that, you can apply that attentional focus. Once you've honed in on that skill, you can apply that attentional focus to brushing your teeth, to turning a lamp on, to walking, to drinking water, to anything you want to do, a push-up, a jumping jack, hearing the birds chirp, meditation, visualization, goal setting, positive affirmations, you know, you name it. So I think it's really, really important to understanding you. And I think it's a better understanding of who you are. And once you understand who you are and how you function, how you react, your output's going to be better because you understand yourself better. You can speak to yourself in a better language. So I think it's, I think it's a holistic perspective. It's a, it's a real big mouthful and, and let's unpack it however you want. Yeah, for sure. So obviously a lot of things you said there and, and a lot of it can sound 
overwhelming again. But one couple or a couple things that I want to highlight is that, you know, we talk about being intentional and, and having attention at everything you do. And it doesn't start with, you know, sitting down at your laptop, working from home, and you're going to, I'm going to crank out four hours of work, be super focused and super intentional, turn off all my distractions, be in my little bubble. It doesn't, you can't just start like that on with four hours. So it starts with these tiny little actions day to day. And that's why, you know, being intentional, brushing your teeth doesn't really matter that much, but at the same time, it, it's, it's, it's very important because if you can't focus for two minutes on brushing your teeth, how can you possibly expect to focus for four hours or eight hours of the day? And this is something that I always think about like office jobs, all of our friends who, you know, work corporate jobs and whatever. It's like, you know, nobody's productive for eight hours a day sitting at a desk. Like they're texting us all day, watching, you know, playing video games, you know, whatever stuff they're doing. And of course, because how, you know, you've never practiced any intention or attention and then you're expected to just be, you know, productive for eight hours a day. It's impossible. So we need to start with these little things. The other thing that I want to, it was like one of the first things you said, relating it back to like some of the people who brought these ideas to the West and whatnot, is that we've spoke with this before, but the reason that these things are very difficult is because they're not new and they're not sexy. These ideas are hundreds or thousands of years old, and they're just kind of, this is just a human condition. This is, this is what it is. We don't get to, we don't get to make the rules and decide, you know, what we have to do in our brain to kind of operate optimally, but there's no secrets. There's no shortcuts. Again, you can't just grind out eight hours of work at your computer and be fully focused on that. You need to start with the small things, right? So this is part of the part of the challenge. And this is why we need to just be have a little bit of compassion for ourselves to say like, look, I cannot just go from zero to 100. I can't lift the heaviest weight in the gym on the first day I go on the first day that I go there. I cannot sit down and meditate for an hour and and have zero distractions and never think about anything else on my first day of meditation, right? Like you do an hour a day now, but you started at five minutes. And so just to highlight that, like, Yes, people get to these these lofty goals of a professional athlete or a CEO of a company, but nobody gets there by accident and nobody gets there in one step. You just hear about the last step. You know, we, we don't, especially with all social media stuff, is like you don't you don't see anybody's grind. You don't see the, the the come up, if you will, of whatever it is that somebody's doing. Nobody posts the 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 video of them doing, you know, barely able to do one push-up. You just see the guy doing, you know, jumping flip push-ups. And whatever. And, you know, maybe the person will post that comparison video, but they didn't post it at the time. They post it, you know, years later. Oh, look what I used to be and look at it. But they didn't post all the days, every single day, going to the gym, every single day, reading, every single day, meditating and getting frustrated because you can't focus for more than 30 seconds at a time. Right. So it's, it's just part of the, it's just part of the journey. And it's very important to understand that there are so many, so, so, so many like little, little steps along the way but they're all important and they're all the things that matter. But in order to get to that lofty goal, you really need to like go through the ringer of doing all these things. Yeah. I think another thing is that, you know, as we touch on them and we call them these things and I, and I'm very attentive, very mindful of the things I say now uh, in terms of even the way that I speak to myself, but also the way that I deliver to others in terms of even, you know, the semantics, right. And then how we phrase words and how that, you know, elicits a, uh, a reaction within people. And that's why I never say should, and I never say would, and they, you know, they have an effect on people and they, you know, understanding that there are so many variables and so many moving variables and so many moving parts to the human that we must understand the human, you know, whether it be a personal trainer, whether it be a resilience coach, whether it be, you know, this program or whether it be a professional athlete, we all understand that these are all labels that are stripped away and what's left is human being. Right. And I think the context 
within our brain, within our body always changes, but the content is always there. We all have an amygdala. We all have a bicep. We all have a hip. We all have a toe. You know, we all, they all work and their function is the same universal across the board. So when we can understand those things, and this is why, when I talk about the how, when we understand the how, and I think you touch on this in a different space where you say, we don't make the rule. And I think when we understand that the bicep is for elbow flexion, we don't make the rules, right? And, and the amygdala is for the stress response. We don't make the rules for everybody. If you're a human being, you have an amygdala and it's responsible and it flares up and it flexes when you're under stress, right? And, and we don't make the rules. The hippocampus for, you know, a bunch of different things, the right anterior insula for positive outlook for, you know, it's firing during an fMRI, during meditation in monks, in us, in everybody. Right. And I think like when you understand that the context changes, right, your path is different from my path. But when we understand these things as fact, it doesn't matter if I'm a professional athlete and you're a personal trainer and you have your own fitness goals and so and so has never worked out in their life. If they do elbow flexion with weight in their hand, progressive overload, they're going to get a bigger bicep. These are the things that are as clear as day. So what, what but what we do need to understand is the context within each individual. And I think when we apply those things and when you apply those things, you must understand you best. So you being a personal trainer, you are an expert in that field, but you're not an expert of your clients. Your client is the expert of client X. You could train me or I can train you or I can train another individual. I am an expert in this area, in content, but you are that you have context within your life. And I think that's where the you versus you comes in. If we give ourselves time, we give ourselves a few breaths to understand these things, we understand our reactions to things, we can then say, this is my response to this. I don't respond well to stimulus A, I respond to B. So why would I constantly place myself in front of stimulus A? If it's going to provide, you know, a negative stress response, if it's going to provide a trauma, if it's going to provide injury, if it's going to provide any of those things, right? And understanding that stimulus A doesn't need to be labeled as that, but right now it is not serving you well. And I would encourage every, all the listeners to say, ask themselves whenever they receive a stimulus, whenever they see, receive a piece of news, whenever they're ruminating. The simple question in mindfulness that is asked all the time within the self is how does this serve me? What are the profound effects of this on my life? Are they positive? Are they negative? Looking at them with equanimity, looking at them with a sense of balance, understanding how does this propel me to the why, to what is very important to me. And then understanding if it's not helping you, it might be a little bit easier to identify that and let it go, right? Similarly, in the present moment, when I'm excited about a thought, how does that help me right now? And the answer will likely, 99% of the time when I do it is it doesn't. And in that moment, it brings me back to the present moment. And I think, you know, whether it be a meditation for an hour, which by the way, for everyone listening, I don't, I don't float and levitate. I'm a human just like everybody else. I do get distracted in my one hour meditations. I can count on one hand the time I, the amount of times I've been locked in for the entire hour or 90 minutes or however long I meditate for. But that's not the point. The point is that the growth that's there. When I return, the, the, you know, the weight itself is not, it's not about being locked in. The weight itself is the distraction and noting when you're distracted. So apply that to a lift. Are you lifting weights and thinking about, um, I don't know, what you have to do next or texting your friend in your rest time? Or are you focusing on deep diaphragmatic breathing to improve your recovery, to improve oxygen delivery to the muscles you've just worked so that they can recover for the next set, to lift that thing, to be stronger, and then find your why, to improve your, back, your low back strength so that 
you have longevity to improve your stability or your mobility so that when you're 70 years old and you have grandkids, you can go on the floor on your hands and knees and play with them. Find something that makes sense to you. Find language that you respond to. And that will be your, your code to resilience, right? Yeah. And it's, it's always been about that for all these things. The content is, it's pretty, it's pretty simple. All of physiology and neuroscience, there's a, there's a whole lot of actual like hardcore science that is very complicated, but to actually put it in practice, the, 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 the nth degree of the science is not really that relevant to our everyday life. It's just about doing the simple things well over and over and over and over again. Right. But it's about, it's about doing them. And the thing that makes us do them, everybody knows how to eat healthy. We don't know maybe how to eat perfectly healthy, but everybody knows that chocolate chip cookies are not good for you. Everybody knows that hot dogs are not good for you. Yet, you know, we make unhealthy choices. We choose not to exercise. We choose to stay texting on our phone, you know, late at night. And, and then we wonder why we don't sleep and, you know, whatever. We do all these things. And it's not for, it's never been for a lack of knowledge. It's always for a lack of context or some deeper reason to do that. And so, yeah, I think, you know, we both talk about this often is like encourage, you know, anyone listening to, really think about that. And it doesn't have to be something super lofty. It can be something very surface level and start there. If you say, I'm going to eat healthy because I want a six pack, there's nothing wrong with that, but have that as your goal now. And then tomorrow, think about it again. And tomorrow, think about it again and the next day and, and see where that, see where that takes you. But at least you have sort of something to aim at, something to anchor you down to like having those healthy habits. And then, and then that's just going to help you implement it long-term. And the same, again, we'll go for meditation for mindfulness. Don't try and don't try and be a monk who's levitating on, on the side of a mountain, right? Just be like, oh, I just want, I just want one moment of, of silence in my head. If I sit down and I'm going to be just, you know, quiet, no distractions, not even guided, like the, the most limiting or the most limited resource meditation, if you will, just say, I'm going to sit here in silence. If I get one single moment of quiet or peace or whatever you want to call it, that's good, right? And you start there. And then you build on it. And then why is it that you want to do that? Well, because I, because I want to be more focused when I work, because I want to shut my mind off, because I want to go to sleep a little bit earlier. It can be something very, again, surface level, and then you can get deeper with it as you go. So you don't have to have this extremely lofty goal that is, that is unattainable to, to have on day one. 100%. And I think that when we do that, we actually shoot ourselves in the foot because we're very we're very attuned to the emotional, psychological, um, subconsciously, we're very attuned to these things, these rather than the physical or the number, or I'm going to meditate for one minute. And I would encourage, you know, that exploration of self where if you can take, as you mentioned, that one minute or that one breath, then you can, and if we're really being, we're really going to go into the technicalities of being present. If you can take that one breath and be present with that one breath and the rise and fall, then you can probably take one more breath. And then you could probably take one more breath. And likewise in the gym, you know, when we look at 12 reps, it might be daunting at a heavy weight or eight, four reps, but if you can do one rep, maybe you can do one more rep and maybe you can do one more rep and your set is done. Right. And I think that approach, and, and that's the anticipatory anxiety that I talk about where you and I have probably felt that in our early years where we were lifting those heavy weights. And sometimes it'd be a bit scary to lift like something you've never lifted before. And like, you know, you know, your elbows are going to shake and, but you create this construct in your mind. And there's other times when we've created a monster when it was really just the tortoise on the ground, right? Like in terms of that one set that, Oh no, I can't do it. It's going to, it's going to cripple me. And, and then we rip through it and you know, we're like, wow, I, why did I make such a, such a meal out of that? Right. It was just a snack. And I think like that is something to observe in yourself. And I think in terms of pushing to total failure, whether it be in the gym or whether it be expecting that of yourself, 
I think that starts with the ego. And when we can silence the ego in that way, and we can really explore what we're capable of. And I, and I, I would encourage everyone to give that a try as to, you know, rather than psych ourselves off that, off that precipice of unlimited potential, because we're afraid of whether we might come up short or not, understand that you might surprise yourself, right? And I think that there's some self-talk that comes with that. And when we place those things in, in an action, it actually became, can become cyclical, just like a negative, you know, self-talk can lead to uh, uh, an in increased stress response and decreased emotional regulation and therefore, you know, systemic, you know, we'll call it contraction or tightness of, in the body and therefore a bad oxygen delivery, which as you and I know, we can go down and down and down the pipeline, but ultimately would restrict your blood flow to the muscles that you're doing. And sure, you're not going to be able to lift that weight, right? So you've almost started with a thought and it's become a belief and then it's become an action. So if we set that in reverse order with something positive, how does that affect you, right? And, and we talk about mindfulness and how that works. Well, pay attention to what that thought pass, passing through your mind does to your stomach. Do you get the butterflies in your stomach when you think about that tough game or when you think about that pitch, that big pitch coming up in your corporate space and that sales pitch or uh, I don't know, whatever it might be in your life. And re again, relevant to you, notice what that feels like. Notice what, you know, the simple action of bringing your, 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 you know, your cheeks farther apart from each other, a smile, right? What does that do? Right. And there's a psychological, physiological, emotional response to all of these things. And I think when we're more mindful of those things, we can start to set the table for a positive cycle, right? And we can start to set the table for optimal performance in the gym, optimal performance on the field, and more than that, just happiness in the present moment, right? And I think if we can only be happy once we've achieved those goals, then we're gonna live most of our life unhappy. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of my quality of life, in terms of the way that I look at quality of life, it's the amount of time that we can live in that flow state, right? So when we begin to find happiness, enjoyment, challenge as well, right? It doesn't need to always be strong, uh, you know, uh, success that brings us happiness, but it can be understanding where you are in your journey that simply brings you that ability to smell the roses, right? And, and in our space now with this performance wellness platform, we're exploring what's smelling the roses. And I think that the stigma with smelling the roses is almost like you've taken your foot off the gas pedal, but using smelling the roses, using being present, using enjoyment, gratitude as a modality for pushing you further into this growth of human potential. And we're, we're working on exploring that in, in athletes, but also in human beings. And what we're seeing it from an anecdotal response, as well as, you know, a, qu a qualitative response in terms of, you know, wellness reports is that people respond well to happiness. People respond well, and it's not breaking science, right? It's that people feel good and they do well. So find a way to feel good. But in order to do that, you must, you know, sit in silence and have a conversation with yourself, right? Almost as if it's the first time. And it's the first time every time. And then the more we can understand ourselves, the better we're going to be able to take this self, this renewed self, this growth, and do better with it in society, in our community, in our family setting, right? Being a better father, being a better brother, being a better friend, being a better colleague, being a better salesperson, being whatever it is, whatever labels you're attached to. Once you're a better Daniel or you're a better Matthew, you can have all those labels and be enhanced at all those labels, right? Yeah. One thing, um, just very quickly to clarify for anybody, uh, we, we've touched on it before and you just mentioned it again, but athletes and like, you know, regular people, what, what we mean is not that everyone should be an athlete in their own right. But when we say athletes, just for definition purposes, like we're talking about people whose profession it is to play a sport, everyone should be able to run, jump and do all the things, but just anyways, that out of the way. But, um, yeah, the whole like thing about framing everything from a place of positivity, I think it goes so, so far because 
very simple example is weight loss. This is some of the thing that I deal with like the most in, in my job. And it's people want to lose weight. Well, why? We're always talking about losing, losing, losing. It's negative. I don't like myself. I don't feel good. I'm not healthy. I don't like the way I look. I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't. And it's so negative. But as soon as we flip the switch to like, okay, let's, let's focus on something positive. Let's gain strength. Let's gain resilience. Let's work on something. That way we're working towards something. We're coming from a place of positivity. It becomes so much more, so much easier to actually maintain that goal and so much, so much more enjoyable. And the same, like the same results will take place. Right. And that's just like we said, because the content is the content. The, the principles are, are what they are. And so we're just going to do the same things. It's just about how we frame it in our head. And so being able to approach things from this, this positive light more often than not goes a, such a long way. And it's, a, I think it's a big missing piece of the puzzle. And granted, it's difficult because we all, you know, often the, the first motivator is something that's negative. It's, I don't like the way I look, or I, I experience anxiety, I experience depression, I, you know, whatever the, the I don't make enough money, whatever it is for someone. Um, and so then you want to do something to fix that. But the second you can sort of have that self-talk and, or have that conversation with yourself to say, okay, what am I doing? What do I want to accomplish? How am I going to actually get there? And then just frame it in a positive light is, is going to take everything such a long way. Right. And, and again, bring it back to athletes is like, if you're trying to avoid your coach being mad at you, or you're trying to avoid something else, like you're, you're not, you're playing for something that is not, has nothing to do with you. But the second you start training with the intention of, Oh, I want to do this for me. I want to improve. It's not that you're trying to avoid something. Your performance will become, will become way better. And that's something that happened for you for sure. Just like your mindset shifts, you started doing it for you. You, you focus less on the negative kind of external off field stuff that was, that was going on. And, and that's when your performance really started taking off as well. Yeah. And I, I think you just, I think you just nailed it. And I kind of got a little bit of a goosebump because it, it was exactly what went through my head where uh, you know, some might misinterpret this or some might think, wow, that's a little bit selfish, but it's actually not. It's selfless. And and I'll, I'll take, I'll do a little bit of a Coles notes version, but you know, as Daniel mentioned, like that I'm doing it for me is, is actually a selfless act. And and people think like when I do things and, and when I, when I take time, whether you're a mother or a father, you know, when I take time for me, I'm, I'm neglecting my children or I'm not, uh, I'm selfish and I'm not caring for my children. And sometimes, you know, I think we see this with, you know, I, at least I know with my parents and, and, you know, I, you and I have had this discussion where it's perceived as selfish when someone is focused on their own growth. And I think, you know, similar to any garden in life, if it's not watered, it's not going to grow, right? You can give it all the sun you want. Similarly, if you can give it all the water you want. And if it's not exposed to the sun, it's not going to grow. So, you know, in my, in my perspective, even latching on to that, I need to you know, given the loss that was in my life and my brother and our connection to sport and our love of sport, that was an added pressure for me. So when I began to learn more about myself and, and the anxieties that I, that I carried, that was an anxiety that was, I, and I asked myself, how does that, that, that clinging to, I need to do this for myself and my brother, or I need to do this, you know, whatever that, that dialogue sounded like, I thought to myself in, in my own time, in my own meditation or in my own mindfulness, I thought, how does that serve me? Really, it only brought me anxiety. So observing that thought and observing the response that to that thought, I knew that I needed to make a change and I needed to leave that, you know, that, that we'll call it that goal or that dream of my brother's. And I needed to understand why it was my dream and not his or our dream. 
right? And and his life is his life, and my life is my life, and um, it was a hindrance for me, as as sad as that sounds. And I needed to let that go, and that might have been part of the grieving process. But ultimately, you're right. I, I started to understand. I started to work on my own potential, and it wasn't about I need to make it. It was let's see just how far I can take this thing. Let's see just how far my knowledge, my my knowledge of of my physical body, my my understanding of the mind, how I can use these all these things as little, little stepping stools, little 1% to, to make a difference. Because the more I traveled in North Carolina and Italy, and uh, the more you get exposed to soccer players, the more you realize, or athletes in general, the more you realize it is the most super saturated um, job market in the world, right? And no one can, that's undisputable, I find. But how do I separate myself? How do I get myself that 1% every day? How do I understand? Well, it came from the why. It came from understanding that I need to work on myself. And I think by the time I got there, it's safe to say that it didn't matter whether I got there or not, because the growth that I experienced was that of unlimited potential, was that understanding that even if I tomorrow it stops, I'm still going to want to push myself to be the best human being that I want to do. And that never stops. Right. And I think, as you mentioned, to parallel that back to fitness and health was it's not selfish. It's actually selfless for those that have dependence in their life. And, and if you can be a better you, if you can be a better, you know, dad or mom in order to do that you need to be the best version of you and you need to give yourself that time to grow whether that be the garden of physical fitness whether that be the garden of growth and understanding of who you are as a person strip away those labels come out of it a better human a better human is going to be a better father a better human is going to be a better cousin uncle friend girlfriend fiance husband wife whatever it is and i think that is that is the take home right and and it's you know, we're so used to living in a risk averse mentality. We're so used to living with what am I missing out on? Right. Or what am I losing here? And as you mentioned, like when you're not happy with the way you look and you want a six pack, well, where does the growth happen when you get the six pack? Where does it go beyond that? Right. And that's why it's not a sustainable goal. That's why it's not sustainable. It's not a long-term goal. It's part of the whole, it's part of the goal. Right. So if I want to be healthy and I want to be I don't know. I want to have a strong core and I want to protect my lower back. And I want to make sure that that's a, that's a major piece for aging. The aging population is like, well, that's a goal that I can work on. Six pack is part of that journey to having a strong lower back or protecting that lower back or not having hyperextension, chronic hyperextension of the lower back, which is obviously associated with many, many issues. And, you know, that is something that is a language that is sustainable. And the six pack can be part of that journey. Right. But when we look at it as I just want a six pack, I don't have a six pack and I want a six pack. Well, once you get the six pack, you kind of hit the ceiling and now you got to, you, you know, it's easy to lose motivation. You stop working out until you lose the six pack and then you try and get it back. But where's the actual growth there? Where do you progress from six pack? Right. It's a, it's a prodigal. You either have one or you don't have one. Right. Yeah. So I think it's, it's something where we can move that reactive tendency to something progressive. Right. When we set a goal that's progressive, when we set a goal with almost a bit of ambiguity, it's done on purpose because there's no real way of knowing, right? If I said, I want to be the healthiest individual I want to be, or I want to run the fastest, how do I ever know if I've hit my max? Even if I hit a plateau in my lifting, or if I hit a plateau in my sprinting, how do I really know that that's my plateau? Is there another way to push through? And in those journeys, we develop growth within, right? We understand the growth of human potential. We understand the hiccups of human potential but it becomes a progressive thing that continues throughout our life rather than the reactive tendencies that we have. You and I have spoken about it in maybe the healthcare space, taking a pill, 
well, let's create lifestyle principles. Let's create healthy foundations to carry us through our life where we're constantly progressing, whether it be in fitness, whether it be within the mind and mindfulness, whether it be our meditation goals in terms of minutes meditated, whether it be the best father I can be, whether it be the best person I can be. Can we grow as individuals? Can we grow with our goals? Can we grow and constantly grow so that we're never regressing, right? Because if we're staying, if we're moving backwards, we can't be moving forward. So when we hit that goal, we stop. So make it a part of your whole and continue on the path of progress rather than success or failure. Yeah. And I think just, just about like becoming the best version of yourself is the, is the best and most efficient way to be able to give back. And really it's the only way if you are at 20% of your potential overall as a human, how can you genuinely expect, you know, now you've got 20% to work with, to distribute to your job, to your, to your spouse, to your kids, to your, the rest of your family, to your friends, whatever. And, and in this world of like where we're totally distracted and have all these inputs all over the place, if you can't go inside and, and, and you know, do the work for yourself and increase your potential, you can't give, there's just not enough of you to give to everybody else. So the only way to be able to give as much of yourself as you can in those moments is to create, is to make yourself the best that you can in all aspects, right? If you can, if you say, I'm going to spend an hour with my, with my fiance after work and whatever, but in that hour, you know, you're, you're also texting and you can't stay focused on her because you can't even stay focused on you. So you're texting, you're, you know, watching TV at the same time, you're doing other stuff. You're thinking about like something from work the other day, you're thinking about your schedule tomorrow, but, oh, you spent an hour. Well, what if you took half an hour, you, you know, you worked out, you meditated, you were mindful, you did whatever it is that you had to do to improve yourself. And then you spent half an hour, but you spent 100% focus half an hour with that individual then which, which one is more valuable, right? And I think, that, I think that when we kind of break it down like that, it's indisputable that you have to become the best version of yourself in order to give the best version of yourself as well. And so it sounds selfish, maybe based on like the, the language and maybe there's, there are better words we can use instead of do it for yourself or something like that. I can't think of them off the top of my head. Maybe there is, but it, it's really, like you said, the most selfless thing that we can possibly do. Yeah. And, and whether we speak to ourselves in that way, that's, that's the rationale, right? And we understand it's bigger than us, right? And when I understand that it's bigger than me, then it's not in my hands, right? If you were to parallel this to uh, a single mom who, who's trying to pay rent and feed their kids, and do you think that she, when she's unmotivated, gets to skip work? She doesn't have a choice. It's bigger than her. And I think about those things. So find a language that works for you. Find a language that I know personally that I'm a selfless person, even though I spend every single morning working on me because I want to be the best husband. I want to be the best father. I want to, you know, I'm engaged. I want to be the best fiance. Now I want to be the best son. I want to be there for the people in my life. I want to be the best friend. I want to be the best athlete. I want to be all the labels that I am to so many people. I owe it to them to be the best version of myself. Right. And I think that is the lingo that we use. And, um, you know, I think personally, you know, people that, that have that type of, I don't blame anyone who has that type of mentality because it is something that is part of human evolution. But when we sit and we think about being the best version of ourselves as a servant, as a part of the whole, right? We're a part of this community, whether it be family, or a community, you know, our town, our city, our province, our, if we're going to move and, and maybe it's this craft that we're talking about in health and fitness in order to, for Daniel to move the needle, even an inch, he needs to be at the top of his game. How can he be at the top of his game? He needs to understand the holistic perspective. He needs to, if he's ignoring one piece of that, then he's not going to be able to put out the best messages, to educate, to empower people. 
with this podcast, with whatever it is, myself included? How can I preach to athletes, right? How can I preach to athletes about not having a singular identity if I myself haven't been able to sit with myself, understand my anxieties, understand my singular identity as an athlete from a young age and strip that down and explore that myself? How could I speak from that level of experience, right? And I think this touches on age versus lived experience. And I think most of us, a lot of us are guilty of this where most of the day we go on autopilot, right? And that's a normal human condition and that's okay. And that's accepting. But the more that we can be present with each breath, if I can get five breaths to be present today, or I can get 20 the next day and I can get 21 the day after that, that's quality of life. And I think that comes with lived experience rather than our chronological age. Right. And I think that's where growth happens, not necessarily the wisdom that you get because you lived 50 years. I know people that have never paid attention to their breath who are, in, you know, probably lived their entire life that have never taken a breath where they've felt their diaphragm expand, belly, ab you know, abdomen, chest, shoulders. Like they've never brought their attention to those things. And it's not about the breath, but it's about if you can't sit with the breath, then how can you go for a walk and hear the birds chirp? which is a very beautiful thing, which is very therapeutic. How can you sit and be with your kids and be with your kids? Play the game with the kids as if you were the kid playing the game rather than sitting with your kids, but thinking about the interaction with your colleague or your boss not giving you the promotion, right? When we can suck the fruit out of each moment, you know, suck the juice of the fruit, excuse me, out of each moment, that's quality of life. That's living the most of this one life that we have to live, right? And we think about that as the ultimate, right? As, we have this one life. How do we get the most out of it? It's being healthy. It's eating properly. It's sleeping right. It's taking care of this body. It's not selfish. It's selfless so that you can grow. If, you're, if your goal is children, if your goal is to climb the corporate ladder, whatever it is, whatever makes sense, whatever's fulfilling to you, you can't do it if you're not well. So you must take the time to be well. Take that selfish time to be a servant what that, so that when you reintegrate yourself into all those labels and all those capes that you wear, you can do it to the best of your ability. And I think what you said about lived experience and, and the ability to examine your lived experience as well is, is something that is unfortunately just missing. It's to no fault of anyone's. It's, it's, you know, it's not something that we've been taught. You know, we've got, we, we go through so many years of school and we, we learn a bunch of useless stuff and we're never taught to like how to actually examine our life. You, if you and I never had the experiences that we had, and then for whatever reason began to like, think about what we were doing, we would still be in the gym doing those same things we were doing those years ago. And we would have just never progressed. And unfortunately, a lot of people in fitness, especially, but in all aspects of life, you just go to school, you get a job, you kind of just go through the motions and you never stop to actually think about what it is that you're doing in that day. And then what it is that you're doing in that year and for the next 10 years and for the previous five years. Right. So that just that examining is, is so important. And I mean, you know, we'd obviously do things differently and it's, it's, I think it's a good kind of way to bring this thing full circle is just based on the things we were doing. Like we took that, do you remember that humanities class that we took in first year? It was called like classics yeah. of Western thought or something. And we, um, it was like a Wednesday night class. So we, you know, we would rather be watching the leaf game and we were kind of like have it on the laptop in the side of the class, but we went to the class and we didn't really pay attention to it that much, but now, and, and in this class we talked about, I don't even remember a lot of it, but we talked about a lot of different philosophy that influenced the West and whatever. Um, but now I wish we had taken that class in fourth year when we were both a little bit more like aware of what was going on. Cause we would have, we would have loved that class, but at the time we were just going through the motions and we basically took nothing out of it. Right. And, and, and this yeah. is how it just comes all full circle is that you need to do what you do. You're allowed to make mistakes. Nothing is perfect. You're not going to be mindful every single second of every single day. And you're not going to have everything figured out. Your fitness plan is not going to be perfect, but 
do what you do, examine what you do, and then like make it better, make improvements on it. And slowly over time, you're going to get there, but do everything with your eyes open. Right. And I think that's the, that's the, that's the point, right. Is growth. It's not about doing something. There is no perfect. There is, you know, there's a saying and, you know, the best meditation is the one you're actually going to do. The best type of fitness is the one you're actually going to do. Right. So find something mm-hmm. you like, get moving. Right. And if find, find a type of meditation, you don't like to sit and focus on your breathing. Great. There's visualization. There's noting, there's reflection. There's all kinds of meditation. Find one that works for you. You can meditate with your eyes open, looking at a candle. There are so many different modalities to train the mind. There are unlimited modalities to train the body. And what it is, is applying intention and attention to those things. And when we can do those, it, those are microcosms for the greater life, right? We might spend an hour working out. We might spend 30 minutes uh, in, in some form of mindfulness practice. But what's, what's being flexed in that moment and being present in that moment carries us for the other 23 and a half hours a day, right? Where we get to that point where we're walking down the street. We get to that point where we're fully immersed in our work or we're fully immersed in our family life. And we can actually be present. We can actually find the beauty in the ordinary. We can find the beauty in the extraordinary. We can find our connectedness to the world beyond us. And it, then it becomes a special world, right? We focus on, you know, in, in my you know, my experience and my knowledge of neuroscience and how the brain works, you know, throughout history, you know, the, the left brain is very much responsible for the analytical side of things. We hone in the right side being, you know, the one that zooms out, the one that looks at it from a bird's eye view, um, looks at a painting in its totality. The left, you know, think of it as like one of those cyborgs that kind of zooms in on one particular thing. I'm looking here, I'm seeing my, my bedroom. I, I zoom in on the lamp. I analyze the lamp. And when I, you know, the natural course is that I zoom out with a greater understanding of that lamp. So now I have an enhanced picture. I have, I have a greater understanding by, by analyzing, which is a human condition, but then we move it back to the right brain, right? So we go right, left, right, in terms of the way that we process information and it's connectedness. We decontextualize to understand something objectively, but then we must place it back into context, right? So what is fitness back in its context? It's, it's fitness. It's just lifting weights. But when we look at it that like that and decontextualize, we've disconnected from it. We've disconnected from, you know, that right brain where we can put it back into context and say, make it make sense for the bigger picture. What is the bigger picture? Well, again, the more that I can, you know, uh, I can go for my runs and I can um, stimulate bone growth or stim- I can counter osteoporosis or osteoarthritis or whatever it might be. I have longevity in my life. The bigger picture now passing it back to the right brain is, that thing that makes sense, whether that be your children, whether that be longevity in your life. I want to travel. I want to see the world. Um, I want to retire and see the world. Well, if you're not well, you're not seeing the world. You're in a wheelchair and you can't walk. Good luck going to Europe in a car because you can't drive around Europe without a car. There's a lot of things that, again, to the individual, the context changes. But ultimately, what we must do is place that emphasis within context of ourselves. And that goes for ourselves, too. We can analyze the self so that when we go back into the big picture, which is this world, we're a better version of ourselves to better serve the world, to better interact with the people in the world, to better, you know, do our part in, in moving human evolution forward, right? Whether that be society or whether that be our construct in the health and fitness space or the sports space or whatever it might be, we can only contribute if we're working on ourselves as well. Right. And this is why it's a selfless, a selfless act. Yeah. And this is, this is really what it's all about. And I think this is why, or part of the reason, I mean, like, you know, both of us are young and started still getting going and we've got many, many years to, to go with all of this stuff. And, and I think we're both extremely humble in what we, in what we 
understand that we don't know and haven't gone through yet just based on you know number of years uh lived but um you know it's it's about just kind of trying to spread this message and growing together with it and as we grow and learn more about ourselves and about the world and, and other people will be able to deliver that better message right and and it, it never ends because these things are there's unlimited not unlimited but there's you know eight billion people in the world whatever and everyone needs these things because we're all humans no matter what you're going through no matter what the context of your life is we all can benefit from these things and they may be different ways someone maybe needs to lift someone needs to run someone needs to uh, do visualization someone needs to do noting you know whatever it is like you mentioned but we all need to kind of train these things and just be be a better human right so just to sort of start to wrap this thing up because we're getting to a dangerous part where we're going to keep going for three more hours. <laughs> um, uh, just tell me a little bit about what's going on with MindFrame and, and performance wellness and, and how you guys are building that out and spreading things uh, in the, in the like, you know, short to medium term. Yeah. So what we got going on is some really, really important stuff. I mean, by my standards with MindFrame and more importantly, with, in collaboration with First Star Therapy and James Gardner, who was mentioned earlier, a really wonderful human being, a really knowledgeable human being, and really esteemed uh, strength and conditioning coach, as well as uh, athletic therapist. Um, you know, we, we kind of put our heads together. And for everyone who doesn't know what performance wellness is, it's, it's a game changer for athletes, for humans. We're starting to establish a space where um, we can help the individual find more of them more of, you know, this human potential that we speak of through mindful practices, through intentful movement, um, stress relationships, managing, basically bringing awareness to the, the journey of a human being and, and also actionable solutions to combating these human conditions that, that are a byproduct of the lives that we live, right? So it's taking that Eastern philosophy, that spirituality, um, and also in the optimal performance space, giving you a better output, right? And, and whether you're, uh, again, uh, whatever your label is, insert label here, what your career path is, not only focusing on bringing you to the best place you can possibly be and exploring your potential in that space, but exploring within. And I think when you explore within, you, you get a better output. So that program itself is, um, is you know, we're, we're really driving the needle and COVID has done its job of making it a uh, a slow burn, but we've really, um, we've really, you know, sparked the match with a lot of universities in the student athletes space, uh, bringing this type of wellness to performance, to performance spaces, such as student athlete varsity programs, etc. Um, in May, we're, we're actually speaking at the state of mind festival, which is a celebration of mental health. And, uh, James is actually the, the host of the, of the event in the athletic space. And I'll be one of the keynote speakers. So we're super excited again to to just continue to spread this out one share at a time and build that community. Um, performance wellness as a as a collaborative, obviously, program as a as a solution to um, innovation and in campus mental health. There's a center for innovation and in campus mental health. We're doing a, a conference with that, and we're actually uh, putting together a very something we're very excited about, and perhaps we can share with with everyone on social when it's official um, with a a pretty large. Uh, um, nutrition company um, to put together a conference and and basically expose everyone as a showcase to the, what this program is and what it can do for so many working a little bit in the corporate space and and then on the day-to-day -day, just really um, just really affecting athletes in in terms of bringing this holistic programming right so that might be in the gym um, with as I mentioned before and you know a meditation after their lift right and and really an innovative way and 
for athletes, but in general, for, I think this applies for people, but, you know, working with athletes on the day to day, I work with them and we do technical work, whether it be soccer, uh, whatever it might be, um, working on the technical side as my background entails, but then, you know, lifting with them and, and then incorporating meditation and valuing meditation and valuing the mind as much as the body. And I think that's something that's not very, that's not being done very much right now. And it's, it's foreign language for a lot of athletes, but once they, once they dive in and, uh, they understand themselves a bit more, you'd, you'd be shocked to know that their numbers jump in the gym and you'd be shocked to know that their numbers and their success on the field jumps. And, and it's all about finding that potential within and finding that growth. And like you said, the context is very different and that's why it takes work, right. And it takes the work from the individual, but we're, we're super excited. There's nothing more fulfilling for me as an individual to, you know, forget the playing career for a moment, but to hear or speak to an athlete and, and let them, you know, let them tell you how, how influential you were for their journey, you know, whether that be in an eight week block or a 10 week training block to how they've come to this realization to what they actually want or how they, they began to find the love again in the sport and whatever it might be. And, you know, it's, it's something for me that goes far beyond it transcends being a pro athlete. It transcends, um, being a personal trainer, transcends being a coach, a resilience coach. It's just about helping humans find happiness, right. And on a very, very basic level, but it's, it's a lot more, you know, focused than that. So, um, it's something that is a passion project for me. And it's something that I'm super excited to continue to grow and alongside with yourself. And, and again, just speak to like-minded people. And this conversation has done, uh, leaps and bounds for my understanding of, of other things and, and just simply a share, right. And we're building community as we have these conversations. So I'm just grateful to be here. I'm grateful to push the needle forward. And I really do believe that this conversation will. Yeah, that's, that's what it's all about. I mean, you guys are doing fantastic work and it, you know, we've talked about this many times. It's like, once it, you're putting all the tentacles out now and you're, you're just filling out the waters, but once it once it sticks, like people are going to be, people are going to realize like this has been the missing piece in all of performance and, and, and athletic wellness and all of these things, because this is what people have been ignoring, even though it's, it's the most basic and fundamental thing that we should be doing as humans and, and, and for regular people, as well as athletes, again, just making that distinction, but you know, all in the same, just with a different end goal. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's just things like this, right. We said, again, none of these things are sexy. They're not easy. They're not quick fixes. There may be less tangible than increasing your 40 time or increasing your bench press or, you know, whatever it is, although it does play a role in that, but, you know, less directly measurable kind of thing. Um, and so some people have a, have trouble wrapping their head around it, but once they do, this is gonna, it's going to be a big game changer. And it just happens like this one conversation at a time. And as many times as, as we, as we have to have it. Right. No, for sure. And, and like you said, it's funny because the more we, we obviously started in the sports space, but the more conversations that we have with people who are decision makers in sport, the more we get, can we do this for humans? Like I'm not an athlete, but can I do this? And that's why, you know, obviously unofficially we're putting together programs for humans. Right. And I, and I did, you know, for the listeners, I did a little bit of a quotation there because we often have this designation or this like identity of like athletes and non-athletes, but, why not bring them together in community? Why not find the applicability within you? Right. And we've, we've had inquiries about doing this in the workplace and, you know, occupational wellness and, you know, whether that be cars for the wrist or whether that be, you know, understanding what the occupational hazards are for your life, whether that be being a dad, like, Hey, I got to pick my kids up. My back hurts. Like, okay, let's work on that. Like finding a holistic 
program that works for you, the individual within a group setting. And so now, you know, obviously with the demand, we're, we're starting to work on working with gen pop. Like it's not, it's not something that we, we're not about, Hey, we're about athletes and you guys are lesser. No, this is wellness. And this is something that everyone should have access to. And maybe the dialogue switches a little bit, maybe the, um, the applicability switches a little bit, or the education switches a little bit to tailor to the applicability of the individual's life. But we very much are, are working with individuals who, who want to sign up, but who are not attached to a sport organization, right? And offer this wellness for them to be resilient, right? If I can teach them how to splay their toes, we're going to widen their base of support. Um, and that starts with intention, simply just applying focus to, to the toes and, and understanding that if I can widen my base of support, which is naturally a narrowing thing as we age, then maybe I don't fall uh, when I'm 70. Or maybe if I can teach you to rotate your hip, if you do fall, and you have more robustness in the joint, maybe you don't break your hip and need a hip replacement. And therefore we start this cyclical pattern of elderly aging and, you know, very poor qualities of life. Maybe it's something we can do now in a progressive manner that changes the world, changes our, our lifespan, changes our quality of life for the long term. So we're very much excited about, about that and expanding into the, into the human space, as we'll call it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the messaging is all the same, just maybe the, the context or the, the dialogue, as you mentioned, it, it changes, you know, you're not going to talk to you're not going to walk into an office building and talk to them about um, getting drafted. That doesn't make any sense. But <laughs> but you know, they're they're all trying to be better humans. So just changing the messaging and, you know, you and James are, are two people, you're not you're not a team of 200 people just yet. So you know, there's just logistical challenges with that and delivering it in an athletic space. And then from like a, you know, I guess a higher level or more business kind of perspective, it's like, you know, we, 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 as a population tend to take things from, from sports, you know, you see LeBron James doing something and now everybody wants to do it. And it's like, well, you know, for, for, for better or worse, it, it, it works. Oftentimes it doesn't really translate the same way, but we do take a lot from, from high level athletics. And so, um, but again, I mean, you guys are just two people doing the best you can and doing very good work and it will get rolled out to everyone and everywhere, um, just in a matter of time. Right. Absolutely. And, and I think one thing I'll leave the, the listeners with, at least as we, I know you want to wrap it up is um, there is something, you know, in common between you and LeBron James. Right. And I think like, or in, within you and Bill Gates or whatever. And, and even if you don't do the same line of work or you don't have the same labels as that person, I can guarantee you that there's one label that everybody listening, you and I, and everybody who's not listening, that makes up the entirety of the world have in common. There's one label that we can all identify with. Maybe we're not all sons and we're not all brothers and we're not all sisters and we're not all dads, but what we all are is humans, right? And so humans need sleep. Humans need proper fuel. Humans need to move their bodies. Humans need to drink water. Humans need to do all those things. So, you know, in listening to LeBron James speak about his sleep, why can't um, a sales associate tailor his sleep patterns around what LeBron James does or use it as a template to find his best version of his sleep patterns or take that and individualize it for his sleep patterns, and then optimally perform and then feel good about himself and then do that again and then feel good about himself again and then understand that he's worth more than that and change his self-concept for the good and you know it's a very cyclical pattern I could go on and on and talk about how many reaches there are but the idea is very much to understand that everyone is we all share that same commonality. We're all humans and the content, my body works like yours. If I need eight hours, you need eight hours. And if I need to eat broccoli, you need to eat broccoli, right? There's nothing, you know, maybe I need to eat a little bit more carbs to, to serve my energy system, my anaerobic glycolysis. Sure. Fantastic. But 
within the context of being a human being, you also still need carbs. You also, your body also translates carbs into energy as the most efficient, you know, fuel source. So there's so many commonalities that I think we, we tend to focus on the divisive labels, but when we think of that human element, we're all together in this, right. And we're all, like you say, we, I always laugh, I always laugh when you say it, cause you say it so much, but it's so simple that it hurts is we don't make the rules. We were born humans. Right. And that's, that's the thing to remember is that we can find community in places that perhaps, you know, those that think, Oh, I'm not a pro athlete. I got this guy that's talking right now. I, I can't, re- it can't resonate with me. Well, perhaps you're a listener that lost the sibling. Perhaps you're a listener that has anxiety. There are so many ways in which we can bond, right? There's so many ways in which we can build community, right? D- Daniel and I are kin grads. We have health and fitness goals, just the same as anybody else. We eat healthy. We have a number of things that we bond on. Perhaps it's not that one thing, right? That, that I'm a pro athlete and he's not. So how could we ever be friends? We're humans. And there's so many ways that we bond on, on that level, right? And I think that's the most empower, empowering thing to remember. And therefore use that as a, you know, nobody says that someone younger than you can't be a role model. I look at Connor McDavid. I look at athletes who are younger than me and I say, wow, what an, what a wonderful athlete and what a wonderful human being, if that is the case. And, you know, take that ego out of the equation and use that as a connector, right. And use that as a connector, as a motivator of whatever it is. Right. And I think there's a lot of things at play here and a lot of a mouthful here, but again, to bring it full circle is remember that we're all humans and remember that this is the community that we're building together. So, um, when we do that, we take the isolation out of it. We seek help. We seek knowledge where we don't have it. And you and I are still growing. And God knows you and I will both be seeking help from those who are more knowledgeable than us. And when we don't know something, then our mouth closes and our ears open and, and we, we soak it up. Right. And I think that's the unlimited growth in this space. So, um, and then therefore we pay it forward by those who approach us looking for a solution. And, and that's how we best can be our best selves and they can be the, their best selves. And, this world can be the best world that it can be. Right. Exactly. And I mean, yeah, you said it all there. You summed it up perfectly there. And <laughs> you know, who, who would have thought, uh, I mean, those years ago, just a couple, couple wannabe juice heads slamming hundred pound weights off our chest would, would start thinking about these kind of things in a, in a few short years and, and who knows where, where the rest will go. Right. It's, it's, it's hilarious, like thinking back to it, but I mean, it, it all, it all really makes sense in the, in the context of the grand scheme of things. But, a few, uh, a few, a few dozen biscuits later, and five piece meals, and we're here. <laughs> Holy, Shout out we, to Popeye's chicken. We, we used to. Okay, this is the last thing, and then and then we'll cut it off here. We used to. This was like our <laughs> our weekly schedule. We'd go to class. Our classes were mostly in the morning. We'd go to the gym. We'd we'd finish at the gym, and we would go to Popeye's at York Lanes, at, at York University. We would, we would eat. I'll go home, and then Matt will go to soccer practice, and that was our. <laughs> And that was our daily schedule. And that's why I was 30 pounds heavier at that time and a big monster than I am now. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a lot healthier now. Though, oh yeah. That. Way heavier and, and, oh, way str- and way stronger for, for what that's worth. As those, well. those poor knees, you weren't doing those things any favors. Man. Absolutely not. Holy <laughs> Oh man. All right. Um, tell people uh, where they can find you on, on social and whatnot. Uh, well, I'll direct you guys definitely to a uh, relevant to what we're, what we've been talking about. So at, um, Mindframe Fit. Um, obviously, on the web, it's www.mindframefit.com. Uh, Mindframe Fit on Twitter, uh, on Instagram, all the all the places. My personal um, at Arnone Matthew twenty three. Um, you can find me on Facebook, obviously, and and all those good things. But uh, yeah, man, I'm just super grateful 
to to be here. I'm super grateful to to have the the mic and share the mic with you and and again dialogue in this way. And I know we've had so many of these that aren't recorded, um, but ultimately, you know, the one that we put out is is I know that if it if it does kickstart somebody's fitness journey or it does put them back on when they've, you know, sort of fell off the horse and, or whatever we've, you know, been able to accomplish with this and, and it resonates in any way with anybody, then that's, that's our job in terms of building community. Right. And I am so grateful to have another conversation about it. Um, I'm so grateful to dialogue with, with people who are like-minded and it's just so enjoyable. So, so thank you to everyone listening. And then obviously thank you to you as well. Do I? Yeah. Thank you as well for, for your time and, and for, finally recording one of these, like you said, we, we talk about this stuff all the time and it's like, we should just record it and put it out there in the world because you know, it'll help people. Maybe it's not going to help everybody, but if one person kind of picks up one sentence that either of us said here, it, it makes it all worth it. Right. So, um, yeah, man, I, I appreciate you always. And, um, it's good stuff. We'll, we'll do these, we'll do these somewhat regularly, I guess. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll do some more stuff going forward and, and keep sharing and, and, uh, grow this whole thing together anyways. Definitely, man. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Uh, thanks, D.Y. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Bye, everybody. Thank you. If you would have told me in first year university that Matt and I would ever have a conversation just like that one, I would have just laughed at you because it couldn't have been farther away from the truth. But again, it's just how we started and how we got into all this and through all the things that we mentioned in the episode, we got to this point and it's amazing. And so I'm very excited for all the things that he's got going on and all the things that he's doing with Mindframe and performance wellness and whatnot. I will put all the contact information for all of Matt's stuff in the show notes as per usual. And I'll put my contact information there as well. If you're not following me, haven't subscribed to the podcast, blah, 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 all those good things. But yeah, that's all. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Let me know what you think. I'm always love to hear your feedback and anything more that you want to hear from either of us, because we'll definitely do this again and, and get more niched as we go along here. So that's that. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast if you haven't already. Leave a rating and review. Shout out to me on Instagram and let me know what you think, what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. And that's that. I appreciate your time as always. Thank you so much for listening and we'll chat soon. Bye-bye.